Too many who know the angles Uncover and untangle All the questions and the webs left out to tangle be in Dapper Dan Gavazdan, and I own every issue of Amazing Spider-Man, all six volumes, including the annuals, which there have been, I don't even know how many volumes of, but either way, they all count in my collection. Wow, and I'm Mischievous Marchinacchio, and I own every issue of Amazing Spider-Man, all six volumes, but then those annuals, regardless of whether they're volume one or two or superior one or whatever, they just don't count because like they don't even, you know, there's an annual 1998. There's an annual, uh, the, 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 you know, the symbiote one, whatever. They don't count. Cause and they, and they, last they, year there were two annuals. So whatever. Right, right. Which just, one of those counts? I say both. But nonsense. either way... <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the Amazing Spider Talk, the show where two fans and collectors uncover the strange, fun, and fascinating history of the Spider-Man comic universe, one volume at a time. Thanks for joining us for this review episode of the Amazing Spider Talk. If you want to swing along with us on our journey through Spidey's past, present, and future, subscribe to Amazing Spider Talk on your favorite podcast app. Every other week or so, <laughs> depending, <laughs> we put out a mainline episode of our flagship show and sprinkled in between, we review new comics as well as interview some of the greatest Spider-Man creators of yesterday and today. This is the perfect time to start listening. And Dan, there's a new way where you can go even further back in the in the annals of Spider Talk. Why don't you tell us about it? Yeah, sure, Mark. So it's something I've been kind of opening a number of these shows with is this kind of idea that we could only really have 300 episodes in our podcast feed at any given time. And that has to do with our hosting choices and things like that. I wish it wasn't the case. Let's just say it has everything to do with it's 300 and Mark has to have 300 as the round number in his life. Cause you know, like 300 is 300 is the greatest issue when it comes to Spider-Man continue. Sorry. <laughs> all right. All right. All right. So, um, here's, here's what we're going to do. So since we can only have 300 episodes in our feed at any given time, I've created another feed. I know how inconvenient, but I'm telling you what, it's worth it for the artwork alone. We have a new podcast feed called amazing spider talk back issues which everybody voted on online and was decided on as the thing that uh, we would call it. And it's a whole separate feed. So the minute something gets booted out of our main feed, it's going into the back issues feed. So go on over to iTunes and subscribe to amazing spider talk back issues. And in that feed is already 
some of the best episodes of our show were, I mean, very early on, like our interview with Mark Bagley and our first interviews with Jerry Conway and Ron Friends. We've got so many great episodes in there for you to check out. If you haven't been able to listen to them and you're new with Amazing Spider Talk, they're all in Amazing Spider Talk back issues in that new podcast feed. So that's going to be a lot of fun. And perhaps it's a good way to kind of get caught up with some of the inside jokes we have on the show. And <laughs> also during some of the downtime, as longtime listeners know, I'm expecting a son in the next and anywhere from tomorrow to the next 10 weeks. My, my life and our recording might be a little bit irregular. We're going to keep these reviews going. You know, the main podcast stuff the seasonal episodes are kind of on a bit of a break so we apologize for that but it's really all about my own personal life and hopefully mark and i this fall can once i get my life back in order can kind of start doing some some of those episodes mark is laughing like you're you're kidding yourself dan your life is over we will get our podcast back in order but you know your life will never be in order let's 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 <laughs> let, but but that's you know I, i'm not I'm not trying to ruin your your vibe here. So keep going, friend. <laughs> well, I mean, un unless I notice that my nurse happens to be named Allison Mongrain. So, Mark, what are we talking about on today's show? What's new? Yeah, yeah. Well, today on the show, uh, Dan, you and I are going to be talking about Amazing Spider-Man Volume 6, number one. This brand new spanking number one issue was written by Zeb Wells with interior and cover art with pencils from uh, John Romita Jr., inks by Scott Hanna, colors by Marcio Menez, and letters by VCs Joe Caramunga. Uh, this issue was first released on April 27th, 2022. This was a pretty large-sized issue, and as typical of a number one, introduced a lot of stuff. So why don't, why don't you give us the synopsis? Yeah, sure. So outside of York, Pennsylvania, Spider-Man holds a device in his hand at the epicenter of a crater and cries to the heavens. The book then jumps six months later where we join Peter and Aunt May in her new apartment. She's had <laughs> to move to a new place again because of Peter's medical bills. And she's upset that she knows that he's lying to her about something which has apparently ruined his life. Whatever that crater was, there was a lot that went up with it. Hmm. Peter returns to his new apartment in Alphabet City where a debt collector arrives to go after Aunt May's money. Inside, Randy berates Peter for abandoning him with their shared rent and covering up for him. But he wanted to tell him that he's proposing to Janice and could use Peter's help to watch his back while he goes to Tombstone to ask his permission. Which, you know, goes way better than you'd think. Peter congratulates him, but rushes through the conversation, admitting to himself that he's let everyone down. MJ, Aunt May, and even Norman Osborn. Elsewhere... Tombstone argues with Hammerhead and the Rose about recognizing territories in the wake of the Kingpin's departure during Devil's Reign. The Rose calls in Digger, a gamma-fueled lackey who died in the JMS run. Tombstone and the Rose agree to meet to discuss territory in Tombstone's home in Harlem. Peter shaves off his beard and is confronted by a raging hot Johnny Storm. 
Apparently, Peter stole from the FF, and it's put him on the outs with them. Johnny still cares about Peter, but Peter won't hear it. At a restaurant, Randy asks Tombstone for permission to marry his daughter, Janice. Tombstone pretends to get angry before admitting that he really has no control over the situation. Peter is watching outside the window and leaves as it seems to be going well, but he then spots White Rabbit and Tombstone's goons and decides to go after them. Turns out the White Rabbit is selling a goblin glider, but Spider-Man busts up the sale. Digger is called upon and they fight. Spidey saves a driver named Kareem and webs up the White Rabbit. The police show up and Spidey flees. He can't find Digger and so he returns home exhausted and decides to call MJ. MJ answers while hiding in a closet and tells him to stop calling her. In Harlem, Tombstone tries to back out of his deal due to Spider-Man's involvement, but is blown up by the Rose's men. He survives also saving the cat. Yay, Screenwriting 101! <laughs> the next morning, Peter goes about his NYC day, dodging the collections guy and missing a job interview, but arrives outside MJ's apartment in the rain. Because everything's in the rain, it's a JRJR issue. Tombstone pulls up and pulls Peter into his car. He wants, him, he wants him to tell Spider-Man that he's going to war and it's his fault. Peter goes full snark mode on him until he's kicked out of the car. MJ is seen peering at Peter through the window before her new maybe boyfriend Paul returns and we see two children who call MJ their mommy. MJ says everything is great as she hugs the children. Meanwhile, some faceless character has kidnapped Dr. Octopus in order to use his mind to destroy Spider-Man. And that is my altogether too long synopsis of Amazing Spider-Man Volume 6, Number 1, a $5.99 issue that I actually thought was worth the $5.99. Mark, how about that, like, thick cover? Why can't they print all of these like this? Yeah, nice glossy stock and... and Putting aside what you thought of the actual contents, like this, this felt like a truly full double-sized issue. Like I, you know, like this didn't feel filled with filler, and you know, maybe it had a lot to do with how JRJR does his layouts and stuff like that. But this was there was a lot happening in this comic, so I don't think your synopsis was too long. I think your synopsis was what it was meant to be, which was a pretty good explanation of what what we just read. You know, so. All right. Well, scintillating podcast content. I did want to say, like, be, beyond what's, a, what's be, a synopsis. Let's just talk. Okay, yeah, no. yeah. Be, beyond the content of the issue, I actually like the packaging of the issue. Like I said, the cover and everything. I, I, I'm curious if you picked up any variants, but I, but I also wanted to make note that there, as much as this book promises a bunch of things, it does promise the return of the letters column in, in the back. That might be the promise that I am most suspicious of, uh, of anything in this book, but I would welcome it back. I do love myself a letters column, as antiquated as they are in the days of Twitter and the internet. You're just trying to get yourself into the letters page again, like for the, what, the fourth time? or uh, you know. I, I didn't write anything to them, but I have been in the letters column four times, including one that has my picture in it. And funny enough, one of the issues was written by Zeb Wells. <laughs> Did you pick up any variants? I, I only got the the Ramos one, like which is you know was one of the standard ones. I grabbed it off the the, the wall at my comic book shop. I mean, I the, the the standard cover was in my box waiting for me. But yeah, I like I didn't 
necessarily love any of the other variants and like they they had some of like the the rarer ones you know behind behind the the register if you will but like none of them were like really like calling out to me to like drop a pretty penny on so it wasn't like that i, I mean to me the king of all volume one reboot or, or excuse me issue one reboots was that marcos martin volume three issue one reboot that's that's one of my all-time favorite variants but anyway I mean, for me, like the, I think the one I bought the most variants of ever was issue 700, where they replaced Otto into all of the like centennial issues. I thought that was brilliant. And I wish we got more of that. I, I complained on Twitter that all of these felt very inventory. And, and granted, the main cover to this issue feels fairly uh, inventory of a Spider Man swinging, but that's fairly typical for number ones. I I feel like, I mean, I like it more than I like, say the Humberto Ramos cover that started the Dan slot run. I, we've seen previews of JRJR's covers coming up and I think they're all better than this one. I got the queen goblin Patrick Gleason cover just because the, those web head covers are so cool. Uh, you know, I just, I had to get it even though I am not like the biggest queen goblin guy, but that was cool. I just, you know, for me, I wish these variants had something to do with the story. Like if there was a Spider-Man fighting Tombstone cover, I would have snatched it up in an instant. It was speaking of having nothing to do with the issue. It was like MJ and Black Cat like on the cover. And I was like, I'm like, uh-huh. OK. And then anyway, those sell for entirely different reasons, Mark. Uh, I, like, I, I know, the, I know, I know. The, I, the more <laughs> baffling thing to me is like all of the Venom and Carnage covers this issue got. I mean, could could that be any further displaced from what this issue is? Uh, I don't think so. But also sell for different reasons. Okay, yes, let's exactly. talk about. But let's talk about the interiors, if you don't mind. Um, I don't. We, I mean, we could start with general thoughts, but like I, I <laughs> you know, I, 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 not to get into the sausage making here, but I texted Dan before we started here because I was like, I, I got to get something off my chest from the onset here because it kind of affects what I feel about this entire issue. And in the broadest sense, I, you know, I thought that there was a lot of promising stuff to be found in this, this comic. But the thing that really kind of left the lasting mark on me in a negative way was that we are, we are opening this new run with what, you know, I think you referred to it when we were talking about it during beyond it's another mystery box narrative which is you know we have like like as you described this 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 visual of peter and the button and the crater and we know it's bad but we don't we don't know what exactly happened and we're we're seeing throughout this comic all of the fallout from this thing and to me this is this is a trend that like has kind of grown in its popularity not even just in spider-man but just across the board i mean mean, we could probably thank damon lindelof and and lost for this i mean it's like i mean Mm -hmm. you know you know but like this idea that like you know we 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 can't have a premise without there being something being shrouded in mystery and that we have to like peel back the 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 layers of the onion here i mean to me that's not spider-man like when I when I think back to what I love most about Spider-Man and Spider-Man comics, I mean, yes, there are mystery storylines usually involving goblin characters. To me, Spider-Man is a story about Peter and his choices 
and the consequences that come from his choices. And, you know, like this is, you know, me kind of making my own Spider-Man manifesto. So like someone's going to yell at me like, no, it's responsibility. How could you say that? But no, I mean, like to me, the responsibility <laughs> comes from the choices and the consequences. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's you know, what 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 has defined Spider-Man? It's it's the choice that Peter the choice that Peter makes to actively do or not do something and and watching him have to grapple with his choices and and struggle with it and being inside his brain when you know do i do i save the do i save the day and look like a coward in front of my friends do i do this do i you know what i mean like this that to me those are the stories that really drive home the essence of peter the 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 peter spider-man dichotomy this run kicks off and we're, we're, we're back to, you know, Peter the loser, Peter persona non grata, which is very, very familiar. And frankly, something that I embrace in reading about Spider-Man. But I feel like we're only getting half of that because of the mystery box, because we don't know exactly what is going on here. And because we don't know and we're not designed to know at this stage we're also not getting inside Peter's head to tell us really what's going on in there and, and, and how all of his interactions with May and Randy and MJ and, um, you know, and Tombstone, how that's really affecting him. And like to me, it, it takes something away from the story to not be in Peter's head when things are this bad with him socially, when things are this bad with him emotionally. And and it, it took me out of the story because it's like, yeah, I, I, I want to know what's going on. But like, I want to know what's going on because I want to know why Peter is in this situation and, and, and what's he thinking about it. It's not that it's not that I want it spoiled or like, oh, you know, just tell me the, the end of the story already. And like, you know, like to take it a step further, it's like, because we've been getting so much of this in Spider-Man lately and like the fact of the matter is I feel like they haven't really delivered on the mystery box angle like it, it also was just kind of frustrating from that and it's like wait so we're going to do this you know we had we went from kindred to like what's beyond in both of those situations in recent runs it was not resolved in a satisfying way and I don't know why I should be confident that this is the one that's going to be good so that's my my opening soapbox and I'm just curious from your standpoint, Dan, as someone who I think enjoyed this issue more than I did, how that affected you, the, the mystery box angle to start things off? Well, I've been very vocally anti-mystery box. I get on my J.J. Abrams soapbox and just y yell about how I find that kind of storytelling typically lazy. And it's, it's a suggestion of we don't have an answer for this and we're just going to stall until we do. And that's where it's never satisfying. And I can't really speak to whether there is an answer here or not. It certainly seems like there's an answer here. And whatever this thing doesn't seem like as kind of psychologically complex as the kindred stuff presented itself as in the beginning. And that being the kind of like, I think, most disappointing mystery box in maybe Spider-Man history, like... Even the reveal of like who built Spider-Man's robot parents as dumb as that is like felt like it belonged in the world of these characters. Whereas like the kindred one felt like we were playing like hopscotch through, you know, just dodging plot holes and things. And it ultimately didn't really work out. So, I mean, I, I do feel the same way as you, which is like, I don't love the mystery box thing. 
Like I really do wish I, I, I knew, but what works for me about this is actually that despite a few elements, most of the issue plays out like a pretty standard issue of Spider-Man that builds on stuff that came before. You know, we've got some of the threads from the Nick Spencer run and beyond that pay off here, right? The Rose is back. There's a brief mention of Gog. The medical debt stuff feels like a payoff of some of the repercussions of the Beyond era. And so it doesn't feel entirely to me like a brand new day scenario where in that case, we were basically trying to figure out how the world works and who everybody was and like what their history is. The only real person here that we're trying to figure out an element of their past is Peter, but the activities he's engaged with, you know, actively in this book kept me hooked enough. You know, like I'm really interested in this tombstone thing and I'm interested in the immediate relationships between Peter and Randy. And while I might not know it's it's the heart of it, I guess it's like the Tom DeFalco, Ron friends thing where like they call like Peter, like, like our best friend or whatever. Like he's our friend and we trust him. Like I kind of distrust that whatever reason Peter has is a good one because he also kind of acknowledges it in the book. He, the book is keeping us at arm's length. Uh, with Peter and Peter is keeping everybody else at arm's length in the book in many ways. Like the aunt may character feels like the kind of self insert here where she's like, I trust you, but I don't like being lied to. And I think that's interesting. It's a secret Peter's keeping from even us. And he does reassure us. Like I'm still a good guy, regardless of what everyone thinks. And so I kind of have to trust him. And that's really kind of what worked for me is kind of thinking about it from that angle. It, it like, it also for once really focused on Peter's supporting cast, which like some of these characters we haven't seen in a meaningful way in a long time. Like I honestly think this may scene might be the best may scene we've gotten since the JMS era. I'm annoyed by it, but I was caught up enough in the immediate adventure to go like, let me follow this and hope that this other one pays off sooner rather than later. It's funny. It's almost the opposite of the Nick Spencer run. Cause that run started with like a pretty self-contained story. It felt like it existed on its own and we loved that issue. And then it really went astride. Like I have no knowledge of whether this will continue working, but I do feel very confident based on what I read in this issue at the very least. Yeah, I mean, this felt more akin to, like, I would say the first issue of Brand New Day in terms of, like, all of the various threads that they were trying to to get forward. Like, it, it did not feel self-contained. I will just, and, and you know, we don't have to go too much deeper than this, but I, I, I just want to posit one question to you, Dan. Like, as much as this feels true to Peter, did you miss the inner monologue? Well, there was inner monologue in this. And I thought it was very funny and it felt very Peter Parker. Like the, the, like I doubled back for the costume, like beat was really funny. Rereading JMS's, you know, uh, coming home. Like that's a really wordy script. Like every page is full of dialogue and that's my favorite type of Peter Parker, but I could, I can recognize Peter Parker. Like this felt like a very, like return of that more mature Peter Parker character, even if I was being kept at arm's length and it felt very deliberate. Do I miss it? Yeah. 
but I think we're going to get it. Like I, I have pretty good confidence that like Zeb is doing this intentionally because thematically it all lines up. Like everybody's complaining that he's at arm's length. He's keeping us at arm's length. It doesn't feel like uh, I'm avoiding it because I can't do it or don't want to give it to you. It feels like I'm doing it for a reason. And that for a number one issue, it intrigues me enough to want to keep going. And like, there is a part of saying like number one issues are inherently different than all other issues because they've got to get you a little bit hooked. Well, let's, so let's talk specifically about Peter's, dilemmas and situations here because it's it's funny like I, I'm reading this comic and I'm thinking a couple of things at once here most and and, and both are positive but it's it, in one breath like as we've already said like this is this is the definitive Peter in terms of his his relationship to others you know like this is this is this is what Peter has been since <laughs> since since he let the burglar go by him, you know what I mean? Like, like there, if, there if is, everybody doesn't hate Peter for some reason, then like, it's not Peter, right? Like, like him, him, like having to do something and dodging people that love him is very Peter Parker. And yet, like, I feel like even when we kind of addressed this in recent years and by, I'm not even just saying like beyond and Spencer's run, but even like at many long portions of the slot run, even brand new day, it, it it I mean maybe brand new day touched on this more. I mean it definitely touched on this more, but like I did, I it hasn't been to this degree of like just like loathing of Peter. <laughs> it, <laughs> probably since JMS, having watched No Way Home again recently a few weeks ago, like and and that ending obviously that we've talked about, and you know if you don't want it to be spoiled, I I won't say everything that happens again, but like the. There was a part of me that wondered, you know, yes, we're getting back to the core of Peter, but also how much of this kind of narrative is being driven by the MCU now, which if it is, I think that's a smart thing, because I think like if you're someone who saw No Way Home and then came to, oh, there's a new issue one of Amazing Spider-Man, the comic, let me pick it up and seeing Peter just completely isolated and, you know, on his own and no one likes him. And, you know, like people are reaching out, but not really. There would be familiarity to that with me. So, I I mean, this is not like I don't know if I'm making a criticism here or like an astute observation. But like, <laughs> I guess this is my way of saying like this is both true to the core of who this character is. But I think also like I, I'm, I'm sensing that this is also being driven to have some kind of alignment with the cinematic universe. Did you, did you get that at all? Or am I just really stretching here? No, I, I had that thought too. And I, I, I can't speak to kind of like the corporate machinations of it, but I, it is also a great way to kind of like introduce new people to your world, which is to kind of like isolate someone and then slowly rebuild those relationships like it 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 makes for a good introduction right you're always looking for like like the the new guy that's getting brought into the team and has to learn how it all works right like if we're building a new status quo here and you're slowly going to give us information about how what that status quo is it's it's kind of a fun thing for readers because they get to discover it along with the characters i don't think this perfectly does that but i can see like even just like basically i made a joke earlier about screenwriting 101 with the save the cat thing but i also think this is a kind of like you know smart screenwriting trick which is 
rebuild the world and, and allow readers to rediscover it in a way that makes everything feel fresh. Yeah. Either way, like I said, this is these this is this, these are positives in my mind. Like whether it's aligned with the cinematic universe or the comic book universe or what how you're putting it, I think these are all smart things for an issue one. I just want to put that out there, and it's just worth saying like just how gut wrenching these interactions are. Like you know, like like you know, like you said, the, the the May scene. It's probably the best scene we've had with with May in a while. It kind of brought it definitely brought me back to the JMS era. I mean, we don't actually see May on, you know, I'm thinking in the JMS era, the, the scene where Peter is calls her on the phone and like, you know, like basically it's like, well, you know, you're probably I'm probably not going to see you again when he's fighting Moreland and we don't see May's reaction. So like we don't it's a bad example. But like the thing is, like in terms of Peter May interactions like to me this was like on the level of that in terms of just like gut-wrenching like oh my god like this is just pain like i feel so pained for peter reading this and but like, i yeah, imagine you would feel more pained if you knew what decision he had made and was deliberately withholding from her yes i would i would i, I don't want to belabor that anymore i mean yeah okay we, all right we, like 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 but let it let it be known yes that that colors everything in this review is like but i wish it wasn't a mystery so i could be in his head but whatever well but let's just talk about the the the, the, the gut-wrenchiness of it and like you know like i keep talking about randy i keep forgetting to mention johnny storm i mean like we had what that whole issue during the um parker industries run where like Peter took over the Baxter building and Johnny was pissed off and like fought him about it. But like that didn't land the way like Johnny just being like, what did you do? You know, what's wrong with you? And then he's like, I got to go see about a friend. And Johnny's like, what do you think I'm doing? You know what I mean? Like, like, like that. What did you that, like that line was like, a, ooh, that's a twist of the knife right That Like all these scenes just have one twist of the knife after the other. I mean, like, I mean, Zeb really did a good job catastrophizing just how poorly peter destroyed these relationships here i mean yeah the, the aunt may bit where she's like i've always known you have a secret but so long as it's making you happier i'm okay with it is kind of like the oh this isn't a dumb character you know but but then when she says like but knowing that you're lying to me is something like i have a hard time with and then she invites him to dinner and says like i won't hold my breath or whatever for you coming it's like I mean, that's trading on years of history between the two of them. You know, seeing Aunt May with some kind of agency in their relationship uh, was really refreshing to me. So, and and we'll talk about JRJR, but like just the visual pacing of that scene, uh, or the, every scene in this book, how they're visually paced is is a real treat. But, you know, when you get a conversation that's this kind of like mature and it's combined with that pencils, you, it can't help but like, suddenly feel like we're back in the early 2000s again of all the like peter interactions like of this issue the the one that like really like i found to be fascinating was his one with tombstone towards the end after like tombstone you know brings him into the car and you know like he, he, peter kind of starts with a, with a with a veiled threat of you know if you're here to if you're here to hassle me like you've picked the wrong night <laughs> But like it, it, it's and and we got this earlier. We, we got an allusion to this idea earlier in the comic when 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 Peter, you know, when he was taking on White Rabbit and, and Digger and he was just like, you know, it's time to go to Spider-Man and, and be Spider-Man and, and and, you know, stop some bad guys. That'll make me, you know, basically like saying it'll make me feel better. But like like seeing 
Peter, like this, like nothing to lose Peter in this scene with Tombstone, like, like, yes, we're not getting into his brain because of the, of the conceit here, the setup, but this was, a, I thought this was a pretty interesting view of what Peter is going through right here. This, this idea of like, yeah, you know, he, he, yeah, Spider-Man, uh, you know, I think he's he's kind of bored right now and needs something. So he's he'll he'll take you up on your offer. And it was like, like, yeah, like, 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 I, I, I love that. Uh, I like and this is to me, this is a, a version of Peter we haven't gotten in years. I, I, I can't even I can't even think off the top of my head the last time we saw this. But this idea of Peter slipping, you know, basically going into deeper into the 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 personality of spider-man as an escape to to escape the pain to escape what he's feeling and to kind of feel that life and the thrill and and you know like that that you know we, we always talk you know going way back like why does spider-man joke so much is it it's it's kind of peter's defense mechanism like this is treating the entire character of spider-man as peter's defense mechanism here i'm going to go into this character and and really just kind of fend off all of the pain right now. And I, I, I just loved the setup of it. And, and, you know, again, we'll talk about JRJR in, in length in a bit, but like just, just the way it's paced, the way it looks and, and, and how Zeb kind of just portrays Peter as this pained, but like deranged character. I mean, it was really <laughs> great. I, I loved it. I, I don't know what you thought about it. No, I loved it too. There's a sort of almost like Travis Bickle-ness to it or like truly like he feels like a vigilante in this comic. I mean, not only do we get a more grounded kind of like group of villains and a grounded setting in New York that actually feels like New York in, in this comic, but then you've got Peter walking in the rain with his hat drawn low, almost like daring people to mess with him, you know, in that kind of way, like I'm a shady character. Rain is dripping off the, you know, brim of my my hat. And the way he goes in there with that cocky attitude of just like, almost like, I dare you to get into it with me. It, one of the things, I, you know, when we talk about um, the character of Peter, we did that episode, our first episode of our first season of the show. And I, one of the things I always think about that episode, and I, 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 I haven't listened to it in a while, but I feel like we didn't get into enough the like who Peter is when he's angry because he does have this like side of him that's very like quick to anger and quick to lash out. And, you know, it's not really what people think of when they think of Peter Parker because they have this idealized version of Spider-Man. But like this guy that like kind of like is a bit of a trickster and jokester and knows he's pulling jokes on other people like webbing Jonah to his chair like that's who appeared here was like, let's get into it. Like I, I do derive some pleasure from this. I'm not an altogether altruistic person. Maybe I am the character the media makes me out to be, you know? So I really enjoyed that. And yet the familiarity of this character is then undercut by the line that Spider-Man is quote unquote ass with the ladies. And I got to say, I think that's a first in Spider. I, I don't think I've ever seen those words in a Spider-Man comic. That Spider-Man is ass with the ladies. Dan, do you have any insights into, you know, just the 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 ramifications of of, of a Spider-Man that is ass with the ladies? I mean, I love the self-deprecating humor in this book. Um, I I actually thought this book was really funny. 
like the bit where he webs up white rabbit, you know, there's just a lot of really good jokes here, but they're all born of like the cocky Spider-Man behavior. I don't know. Like so, so many of the jokes in this book work for me. Zeb is a pretty funny guy. Like if you read his stuff, I thought his Hellions was a fun book. And I, I don't associate him with comedy quite as much as I do Nick Spencer, but I expect that we're going to see a really funny Spider-Man in this book. Like I, I think the biggest laugh for me was the like, I doubled back and, and got the costume, like just kind of playing with narrative in an interesting way. And and it is worth noting that the, the, the narrative is kind of telling a story kind of like what we saw in the Nick Spencer run, it's definitely not omniscient in the same way that his was, and that we never got an answer for why he would write it that way. I still find that one of the most bizarre things about the Nick Spencer run. But here it's like uh, Peter's talking to us, the reader, which is kind of strange. I, I thought it all worked, uh, even if I find it kind of like weird to be acknowledged in the pages of, uh, of, of this book. So... All right. Well, do we want to uh, take a, a brief interlude and talk about the Slack? Sure, Mark. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the Slack? Uh, well, hundreds of listeners like you, and I'm pointing at you, Dan, uh, hang out in our community of Spider-Man fans on Slack. The amazing Spider-Slack community is absolutely free to join, and you can jump into active conversations with awesome people about collecting conventions, movies, new comics, old comics, and more. Yeah, I hang out in the Slack all the time. You know, this week we've been talking about this new run of Spider-Man. I mean, what else do you think we'd be talking about in the Slack? You know, like th this comic has really lit us on fire. We're all like theorizing, like who was the guy outside the window in 93? And how does that tie into here? What's up with MJ? You know, this issue has a lot of great mysteries, so it's a great place to discuss it and, and anything else about comics. So if you want to say, you know, hi to us and join the awesome Spider-Man community that is our Spider Slack, just follow the link in the description to this episode. Come in and say hi. It's, it's a friendly place. Everyone is welcome there. Uh, just uh, come, come and say hi. Talk Spider-Man with us. There's nothing better than that. Right, Mark? Oh, yeah, absolutely, even though I'm not in the Slack all that often. so <laughs> Yeah, 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 see if you can come for one of the rare appearances from Mark Ginocchio. Uh, he's here, he's here, and he's gone for six months. Guys, <laughs> you, got, you never know when he's going to pop up and, 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 and shove it in your face. There you go, there you go. All right, well, that's 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 good. So let's let's get back to the issue, Dan. We, we, we've been teasing it for oh, like half the episode now. Let's talk about the art. John Romita Jr. and Scott Hanna um, on inks, and you know it's it's I I I'm I might be misremembering here, but I feel like you had said something like ah, I don't know if Scott Hanna is like my favorite person doing inks on on Romita. Was that you or I I don't know who else I would talk to who would have an opinion like that. So yeah, it had I, to be you. I, I don't know. I I like Scott Hanna's inks on JRJRs. Oh, okay, so, so then um, so maybe I am misremembering somebody. I, well, re regardless, like. Yes, I, 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 I love the art on this book. I love Hannah's things, but like, but more so like, I mean, obviously they're the, they're the same pairing that did the art during the, the beginning of the Straczynski run. But like, furthermore, like, like, oh man, like just everything about this book visually just brought me back to coming home. Like, it's it just like, I mean, the storyline had that vibe to it without the mysticism in Moreland, which is like kind of a big 
but uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but we're, we're, gonna, we're that but like just the visual pacing and 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 the mood and and the emotion like these these two just nailed it like this is this this book is phenomenal looking and we've had some really great artists on this book like Gleason's been awesome and 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 Otley had his moments and Stuart Eminem was really awesome when he was paired off with Dan Slott but I don't know like maybe I'm just being very nostalgic and you know like everything old is new is new again or whatever but like seeing JRJR and ha- and Hannah on this like just really felt like a like a warm hug like I was just so happy looking at these pages I mean, let it be said, there is nothing better than like a classic looking Spider-Man issue. And this to me felt very much that. And it, it's a great book. I saw a lot of people like dogging J.R.J.R. like he kind of lost his way. And and I haven't read his DC stuff and I, I had heard mixed things about it. But to me, this was such a solid comic and, you know, so many iconic images in this just image after image i mean even if it's just like peter grinning with a hat on or like you know the conversation between him and may and i don't know how much of this is wells but like the one thing you can really say about jrjr is like he knows how to pace a comic and and visually tell it there is so much wonderful visual storytelling here and like man do these pages breathe like they're like i wanted to take in the details Except I, I do want to say, like, as much as it reminds me of coming home, I actually think I like the art here more because you've got Marcio Menez on colors. And man, whether it's that they couldn't do this stuff in the early 2000s, because I feel like the coloring in the early 2000s always felt a little like desaturated, a little like faded. The colors here are so vibrant and like New York feels alive and all the characters feel really like like the, the beautiful like combo of of. Scott Hanna's inks and, and Marcio Menez's colors make these characters just jump off the page and feel alive. Uh, I, you know, I, I don't know if you've been reading Daredevil or Devil's Reign, but he did the colors on those books and they were beautiful books too. And so is this book. I love the little details like the flash of red on Tombstone's face before the bomb goes off that like signals that page turn like uh, and that huge explosion of the building. I mean, there's just so much great stuff and you got JRJR just doing classic, whether, you know, like things like silhouettes in the foreground and uh, of the people watching the building being destroyed. It's just classic comic book storytelling here. Yeah, I'm sure it's being colored by my nostalgia. This was a comic book, not just a bunch of like beautiful drawings. It absolutely has to do with the pace, the visual pacing that you mentioned, but also like this book as we've already talked about, had a lot of emotional nuance to it in terms of these interactions. Like there were a lot of small interactions, a lot of big interactions. And like, I I, I just don't know if there is a better Spider-Man artist, period. I'm about to drop a hot, hot take. I don't think there is a better <laughs> Spider-Man artist at conveying character emotion than J.R.J.R., I'm including his dad. I'm including Dicko in that, in that, like he just captures like these little small, like you said, like, like whether it's Peter grinning at something like, like he just captures these very small emotional beats visually in a way that no other Spider-Man artist can do it. And when you have a story like this, that is so emotionally charged, like, like it just 
uplifts everything. I adore J.R. J.R. not just because he was a great interview. I mean, I just I, he's he's one of my all time favorites. And it, like I said, it's just so great to have him back on this book again and 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 doing these kinds of stories you know the the street level elements with tombstone like they just felt gritty and raw and you know we've been joking about it but rain 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 so much rain <laughs> in this book but it works it works because this is we you you have the the best artist you can have doing rain on this book so i mean like it, it just it knocked it out of the park i mean like it's it, it it absolutely delivered from a visual standpoint yeah, I mean, I, I, for what it's worth on the people that were doubting J.R.J.R., like I read his Fantastic Four 600, which he did just shortly ago, which I thought was a tremendous issue. And I think his work here is even better than that. So like, uh, you know, maybe it is the combo of how, you know, all, all these things kind of, all the art team kind of fit together. But yeah, I mean, it, it's a it's a beautiful thing. Like even and I don't know who to credit for this. Like the little details of the characters, like the like Digger eating the rose and spitting it out. Like there's just a lot of little things, like how Randy is leaning up against the wall and annoyed with Peter. You know when when Peter comes in and like his fear in in the, like the wake of the Hulk hulking tombstone, or even just tombstone walking through his apartment and there's like a drawing of like a lion fighting like a ferret. I don't even know what it is on the wall back in, in the back. And it's like, yeah, of course, Tombstone would have something like that, like in his bedroom, you know, uh, th- there's just so many details that tell you so much about who you're, you're, you're dealing with in, in this book. Yeah. It, and emotionally, yeah, it, it feels really uh, raw. So, I mean, it's a beautiful book. you got these splash pages of him going back for the costume. I mean, that should have been the cover. What an incredible image, you know? So, yeah, I, I feel like, yeah, there's not a single panel of wasted storytelling in this book, which I think is probably what what really sets it apart. Um, like you said it, it, earlier, it's not just about pretty visuals. It's it, 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 it's it's that economy of storytelling. And, and like, you, you know, we said at the very, very beginning, like, you know, it's a five ninety nine comic. So, yes, it should be packed with stuff. But like. You really, I, I felt I got my money's worth in terms of story density because, yeah, like not, there is no wasted storytelling on these pages. Like everything, every everything is very intentional. Which I don't know. You can you could say not just in Spider Man comics, but in comics in general. I, I I I I don't know if I've ever seen that kind of visual intent to push the narrative quite like this in a while. And I would say on a writing side. In terms of the quality of this book, two two big things. One, I think there's really great Spider-Man action in this book that is grounded and like the Spider-Man action I like to read, which is like, I got to go back for my costume or I've got to hang to the roof of this car so that I can you know, get across town or the image of him going to the chemical store and buying the stuff for his web shooters to, to work like that stuff to me feels very grounded in the way I like my Spider-Man action and, and mechanics to work. But then also this felt like I love this issue, how much it felt like it tied into the rest of the Marvel universe, whether it's the mention of the green door or human torch, not being able to turn his flame off, which is going on in fantastic four right now. I feel like under CB Sabalski's run, the Marvel universe has, often felt very like disparate and not connected to each other. 
And here, this felt very much engaged with the world of Marvel. And I think Spider-Man comics should be that. Like if he is the everyman and he's engaged with the, and he's the most popular guy, like, yeah, it should have all that stuff going on in it. And uh, I'm excited to see like, maybe this run takes a more Roger Stern approach where we're bringing in other elements from around the Marvel universe that aren't typically associated with Spider-Man. I'd be curious to see what that would look like. So I wanted to point that out too, is like, it made me go like, I'm so glad I'm reading Fantastic Four and I read Immortal Hulk, you know? So let's talk about the big subplot here, which is this Tombstone gang war subplot. I mean, you know, I'm a fan, you know, like I feel like even when we've gotten street level Spider-Man in recent years, it, it, it wasn't truly, truly street level. There was always some kind of like higher Love higher element going on, whether it be like, you know, the sin eater and his gun that took away your sins or whatever. I, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, this just seems like raw, like Rose is making a move on Tombstone and Tombstone's going to punch back. And, you know, like you have characters like Digger and White Rabbit, which on their face should be like absurd. But like, I feel like they're not being treated as punch like there's humor in the in in the characters but like they're not punchlines you know like it's not like oh you know spider-man is just like owning white rabbit in in an issue one you know like we got a few volumes ago i don't know like I, i i just really liked the grounded grimness of what's being set up here in terms of the actual spider-man drama not the peter drama but the spider-man drama yeah, and I, I like that it's not really wasting its time, you know, like it's just getting into it. Like th- this got set up, this gang war, like we got an emotional beat from Tombstone that makes him like somewhat likable with how he treats Randy and then blowing up his home and him saving the cat. Like it's good economical storytelling. Like it's like, okay, cool. Like I know there's a gang war going on. I don't really like tombstone, but there's elements of him that I respect. And I know why the, like the war is going to happen. Like, it's like, okay, great. Like issue one, we're already off to a pace and we can get straight to it. You know, that's not to say it won't get overstuffed as these story goes on, as these issues tend to tend to do. But like straight away, I'm like, I know who the sides are. I know what's at stake and let's go. Let's go. Yeah. You know, and that's that's a good observation about Tombstone, too, that you made in terms of like, he, you know, I don't know if he's likable, but like there's an element here of of him. Like, I don't know, like I saw him before the explosion, like he just seems kind of content with things. You know what I mean? And you, you, you almost kind of. You, you, you do kind of empathize with that a little bit like, oh, OK, you know, he's 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 had his run and he's OK with it. You know what I mean? But then like this bomb goes off and it's like, well, here we go again. Just when I thought I was out, they're pulling me back in. You know what I mean? So totally, like, you, totally. You, you kind of side with him. And, you know, I mean, it's Tombstone. So I'm sure he's going to do something very you know, horrendous. That's going to make you not side with him. But, and I also did like him dropping in the, the, the reference to getting stabbed with a pitchfork by um, Robbie. I mean, you know, we, I mean, anytime we can quote the Jerry Conway run on spectacular with, with tombstone. Good for me. So maybe the um, most overlooked run from any major creator. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, I'm sure that some would also argue JMD's spectacular run. <laughs> like that still hasn't been, it still hasn't been collected, even though like we had an entire run of amazing that, that mined it, whether it was mined well is another story. Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> anyway, but no. This Do you want to talk about the 800 pound gorilla in the room? <sighs> we could talk about it, but you know, I'm not, I'm not predicting anything about it. But let's let's talk about MJ and 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 mommy. <laughs> Dan, I think as the expectant father here, you should kick this segment off. Well, it's funny, Mark, um, because like this was spoiled for me like over a week before this issue came out because there were a number of people that had access to the issue. I think digitally it got maybe dumped a little early and people who had mail subscriptions got this book sent to them like a week early. It was online and I was getting tagged in it. And no matter what I tried to avoid it, I went into my Twitter mentions a week early and then boom, there it was. And uh, there's, you know, the page with MJ and these kids that call her mommy and, this guy, Paul, the internet lit up very angry that how could they do this? Editorial is playing with us. They just got them back together. They were going to move in together. And, and I'll admit, I'm somewhat sympathetic to it. Like there has been a lot of playing with the status quo in like ways that I feel like are really not cool. I'm more on board with whatever this is because I definitely think it's a fake and I think that there's something really complicated going on here that might be interesting. I could very much be proven wrong. And it could just be they're putting MJ in a box somewhere to get him away from Peter. And they pulled an ultimate all-time like piss off the fans move here. I don't think that this is it. As is acknowledged in the letters page in the back of this book where it's like, we sure you're really upset about this, but there's more information to come. And it's like, they know that this stuff riles us up and it's going to get attention and they're going to undo it. And and maybe that's the most infuriating part about it is they just like want to piss us off in, in, in some way. I don't know. There's something interesting going on here and I, I'm very curious about it. And I don't think they're just going to, you know, whatever, shove MJ off to the side. And I saw people saying they were going to quit reading comics over this. And to them, I say... Have you read a number one issue of a comic? I am happy to announce for the 950th time on this podcast that my enjoyment of these comics is not contingent on Peter and MJ being together. Like you, I do sympathize with kind of this idea of being jerked around a bit for the fans that do want to see them get together i mean like you know yeah but like, introducing an engagement ring and not paying that off is like a crime and 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 should be held accountable for that right and no absolutely um but like i mean but at the end of the day it's a soap opera and you know i i know people don't want to think of their comics in, in that medium but it is it's a soap opera it's a soap opera in spandex i mean i'm sorry and you know just like any other you know romance like in in, in a long form serial storytelling like this like i mean like yeah i mean like this happens like like you think you just as they get closer together you're gonna pull the rug out a little bit like it doesn't doesn't always work out right away (laughs) i mean like what's gonna keep you coming back for more it's like okay how are they gonna overcome this so like like there is nothing about this situation whatever it is that makes me think like well that's it they will never get together now 
<laughs> and if you think that you're a fool i'm sorry i'm not trying to d- diminish our fan base but like y- y- if you truly saw this and were like well that's it the the boat is officially set i mean like there there could be a million things going on here that are are are, are powering this and more information this to come the book literally ends with peter like longing for her outside of the window and her looking back at him sadly like there's there's something here that we're you know and you know uh, we can talk about like uh, this might be a good transition to asking like well what do we think peter actually did whether it's speculation or not i think there are some interesting clues going on here and you know to me it's like do i think mj had a secret like love children like a de- half decade ago or whatever. She definitely didn't have in the six month gap that we, unless they're like both wildly premature and of goblin serum. Blood. I was just say, I mean, unless this is like Gabriel and, and uh, what's her face part two. I mean, <laughs> like, no, I hope God, don't say that. <laughs> Why did I to, even put that out to there? To me, this seems more like a witness protection kind of thing. Like she's hiding in a closet and she doesn't want them to see that like Peter's calling her and she's like, you got to stop doing this. And, you know, I think you're supposed to read it as emotionally. She's like, stop bugging me like I've moved on from you. But like there's another way to read it, which is like you really shouldn't be calling me. It'll put everybody in danger. Like a lot can happen here, guys. <laughs> like, yeah, I like, mean, and and like people were saying, oh, it undid the work of Nick Spencer's run. But like, don't forget, it was Zeb Wells who ended the Beyond run with them moving in together before a mysterious character appeared outside their window saying the road here was like paved in blood. You know, like something is going on like they they can't talk to each other. And Peter's keeping everybody at arm's length intentionally, too, because whatever this thing is puts them in danger. Right. Like so like that's what's going on here, I, I think. So I, I do realize that we've gone through this entire episode and we really didn't talk at all about the actual, you know, the crater and our thoughts on it and all that. I, I again, I am out of the prediction business, Dan, and there is nothing you can say to get me to make any kind of prediction on this episode, at least right now. But do you want to talk a little bit about the crater? Because I don't want to I don't want to deny you that. <laughs> I mean, you know, like we've got a few clues in, in, in this issue issue. So like the first one being the location right outside of York, Pennsylvania. And Mark, when we think about Pennsylvania in Spider-Man comics, like what comes to mind for you? Does anything jump out? Isn't that is the, doesn't MJ have like family in like Pittsburgh or something like that? Or yeah, or? yeah, Gail, right? So Gail and her kids are in Pennsylvania. Now, at first, I thought like, what if those two kids that we saw were Gail's kids, right? And you know, MJ's taking care of them. Although, why they would call her mommy would be a little bit weird. But both of Gail's kids were, were boys, so that doesn't really work out. But, you know, like MJ has a lot of ties to Pennsylvania. It's also a Spider Slayer story that took place when Peter went down after, you know, MJ, when she went to go meet up with Gail. There was a big Spider Slayer story. I, I believe the first Alistair Sp- Smythe story takes place in Pennsylvania. Um, and the other one is that Johnny says that Peter stole something from the FF that got him on the outs with Reed and Sue. So like we've got this spider thing he's holding. 
it must be FF tech, you know, that, that he's utilizing or has like kind of reworked or something. I, I am, I am curious, like in my mind, he blew something up to possibly destroy whatever that character is that appeared at the end of issue 93. I don't think it's Moreland, but like, I do think like, what if the thing Peter did was he actually killed someone for the first time, right? Like he, there was a situation that forced his hand and maybe he's distancing himself from other people because he doesn't trust himself. I, I, I don't know that that's the first thing that comes to my mind, but I, I'm thinking a lot about like what kind of tech would he need from the FF and why York, Pennsylvania? That's so specific. Maybe I have to do some research on what's in York, Pennsylvania. <laughs> I think it's this kind of middle of nowhere Pennsylvania. I got to be honest. Yeah, yeah. That. So yeah. maybe that was that he drew he drew whatever this thing was into the middle of nowhere to blow it up. But then we get this kind of like like you know every the post credits sting of Doctor Octopus, you know, on a monologue about how Peter's at his lowest point and it's not worth going after him now because he only likes to go after him when he can destroy his life, and we see that he's been like kidnapped in some kind of like web like thing by another character. And the most interesting thing about it is the character has lettering that is uses lowercase lettering, which is notable in that the ultimate comics use that, you know, there's like the maker and he still has, even though he's in our six one six universe, he still uses lowercase lettering, but also Hickman's X-Men use this sometimes, whether it was a mistake or intentional, so it could be an X-Men character, but the hungry thing makes me think Moreland. But then I also think like there's got to be, we know we have the super adaptoid thing coming up in issue 900 and maybe, you know, it's going to be all this, all of the sinister six together. So maybe each we'll get a backup in each issue with him capturing a new member of the sinister six. Cause it is a green looking character and the adaptoids are green. So that's my best guess for who this is. Did you have any, guesses as to who no. this was at the back of the book. <laughs> I'm out of the prediction business, Dan. <laughs> oh, well, I didn't know if like, anything came to mind when you saw no, it. No, you know? I, 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 I mean, I got to be honest, like not to not to sound like a, a, a noob here, but like I was kind of, I was a little visually confused by the sequence with, with Otto. Um, so it was hard for me to kind of get a guess going with it. What you've put forward are some good ideas here for sure. So. Totally. So, Mark, let's get to a grade uh, okay. on, on this issue. Um, I'm curious because you had told me a grade before. Did us talking about it boost your feelings at all? Yeah, I mean, I think it moved me to the higher level of it because, again, like as I'm talking about it and like talking about Ramita's art and like I did enjoy a lot about this comic. The mystery box setup really did sour me to it at the start. I got to be honest. Like, so I'm going to give it a B. Which is not a bad grade, I don't think. That is a B that is heavily brought down by the mystery box. So, like, keep that in mind. Like, this probably would have been in the A, you know, A minus A range without it. So, like, like I, I, I loved so much about this, but like, having to endure another mystery is a little exhausting for me. And if it's poorly resolved again, like, no, I mean, I'm, I, I'm not even going to finish that statement because, like, I'll still keep reading and 
reviewing comics because that's what we do here. <laughs> I'll be really upset about it and I will make some really long-winded rants about Spider-Man comics, Dan. Well, so, anyway. hopefully prepare yourself for not that. Not that we don't like it. <laughs> Your rants are enjoyable. But what about you, Dan? I mean, I really want to give this thing an A- because I really enjoyed it, but I am more in the B-plus territory with you because of the mystery box thing. It did keep me at arm's length, but... There's just so much I love about this comic and maybe it's the the JRJR of it all. But I also think Zeb Wells writing like this Peter felt very recognizable to me. The New York felt recognizable to me. I'm keeping it at a B plus because I think those are things we kind of just expect from Spider-Man comics and we haven't gotten in a while. And I want to be more realistic and just say it's a B plus. I remember we gave an A plus to Nick Spencer's first issue. That aged well. <laughs> no, but I, I still think that issue aged well. Like, it really addressed the history of the character. It, like, really solved a lot of the problems that we had with how he'd been written. It was a self-contained story that promised a lot of, like, other things moving forward with a really, like, fresh voice for the character. And this one just feels very comfortable to me. Like, it doesn't blow my socks off. It doesn't promise like like a tremendously like you've never seen it before era of spider-man <laughs> i don't know that actually sounds really great you know and so b plus for now you know something comfortable and i, I you know it's with spider-man it is is something that to praise as well so yeah b plus for me excellent all right well you know it's not like it's so funny, like the way we talk on Twitter, like, you know, it would have sounded like we were like at polar opposite ends of the grades here. But, <laughs> the, we're, you know, at the, at the end of the day, we're we're within a we're within a few decimal points of each other, basically. So, I mean, I said on Twitter that I had a smile on my face through every page of this book, and I definitely did. Like this was a very enjoyable comic for me. I probably um, had a smile on my face from like page four on, but <laughs> but the first three pages, I was like, oh, come on. <laughs> you, you, you got an ulcer like Peter used to get. Like, uh, like see, see, instant see, ulcer. Yeah, the crater. And then six months later, like again, here we go. All right. Anyway, <laughs> you know, here's a great question that's like kind of tied into this. Somebody asked like it, without context, what grade would JMS's number one issue get? They asked it in our chat. Like, I mean, that's an interesting comparison to this because, you know, you've got the art and everything and that issue is super character oriented. But then at the end of it, it really throws a wrench in what you understand about Spider-Man, but it all builds to that. I think that's a solid A issue for me. I honestly would, would need to read it again with that lens to give it a, but I mean, it would probably, I mean, like coming home is like one of my top three stories ever. So I can't imagine it <laughs> yeah. wouldn't be an A, but I mean, <laughs> like, it's, a, it's, a, it's an all time Spider-Man story. Like, so, you know, um, cer certainly, certainly the greatest Spider-Man comic series to, you know, like arc to be published in the 20th, 21st century. So, I mean, I, I know. would say over anything in the 90s, too. Well, hey, everybody, if you guys found this show entertaining and valuable, please consider supporting us. Recommending Amazing Spider Talk to a friend is really helpful because it's the kickoff of a new era. And, uh, 
you know, I bet there's a lot of people that want to jump on. And if only they knew that this content existed on Amazing Spider Talk. Uh, so help us spread the word. But if you're able and you love this show, maybe consider becoming a member on the Patreon. Yeah, we can only bring you this content with the support of our Patreon members. And we owe the show success to every single one of them. We are constantly making exclusive content for our members, right, Dan? Yeah, absolutely. So you can just spend $3.99. That's cheaper than the comic we talked about today. And you can put it towards a month subscription to support the show and receive our Patreon content, including these reviews when they first come out. You know, we're, we're in this new era. Mark and I kept up with Beyond week to week, and now we're back to cover volume six week to week. So why not make this a part of your weekly Spider-Man routine and join our Patreon? I mean, $3.99, you pay more for a cup of coffee than that. Because okay, all right, yeah, yeah, all right, five all right, large right, coffees. All right, hold on, hold on. Like, you like the pasta maker? Now I'm going to tell you what else I'm going to throw into the pot here. If you want to contribute $10 a month, so that's like, that's five coffees, you're going to gain access to exclusive artwork from famous Spider-Man artists commissioned exclusively for our members. That's right. We've recently commissioned uh, Juan uh, Ferreira to depict a black suit Spider-Man and Daredevil to help memorialize our transition into the Peter David era of spectacular Spider-Man. We also have um, some art kind of way, way out, but but out enough that it's been commissioned from uh, Michael Fife. So just throwing that out there, too. So plus every episode when we're doing like the seasonal episodes, we have a new episode specific desktop background created for us by artist Nick Hagnetti for our patrons to enjoy. So, I mean, you know, for five coffees, definitely worth it. Yeah, I agree. And look at you throwing the Mike, uh, Michael Fife bomb. That, well, we talked that, about that, didn't we? Or no? I think <laughs> that's I, the first news that? of it on the podcast. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm so excited about that. His Spider-Man stuff that he does on Twitter is really fun. You know, his stuff in Copra is, is also a blast. So, yeah, Fife is, is, is in the pipeline. But uh, we do know that it's a hard time for everybody, as it is for us, too. One thing that Amazing Spider Talk is not suffering is inflation. So, you know, you can put your money with us and know it's safe. Uh, And we appreciate anyone who does so, but we also appreciate anybody who just listens and shares our show. But again, if you do have the means, please join our Patreon to support the continued existence of our show. You can find a link in the description to our show that'll get you to Patreon where you can like browse all your options and have fun with us. And, you know, lastly, a a thank you to everybody who already supports us on Patreon. We're almost at 200 patrons. We'd love to get over that number and maybe we'll start doing some special stuff uh, once we get over 200. I'm starting to think about doing B-book reviews, but on the on the edge of my son's birth, maybe I shouldn't head, head down into that. So anyway, Mark, why don't you take us home? Yeah, of course. Yes, it's that time. Time for all good things to come to an end. So we want to say thank you to you the listeners and those viewers out there for tuning into this episode of The Amazing Spider Talk. Yeah, this episode was edited by Rick Coast with production support from our friend Andy Myers. Our artwork comes handcrafted by Ron Friends, Sal Busema, and Ray Sumzer. 
Our theme songs were produced by Ryland Bojack, Tony Thaxton, and Spider Madge. Our animated intro was created and performed by Josh Sutton from the Panels to Pixels YouTube channel. So, Mark, until it's revealed that both our wives have secret children we are only just now learning about, <laughs> what's our motto? Whoa. Mommy! With great podcasts, there must also come the amazing spider talk. Don't, don't miss the next installment. Spider, don't, don't, spider, just the spider, can't, seems a web, any side.